0: Good to see you today. Thank you for being here. Uh, we've got people that are away visiting family and we've got others that are visiting family here and you're with us today and we're grateful for that. Hi! How we doing? For many today is, a, is an easy day, but I've learned through life that for many today is a hard day. Uh, my heart goes out to all of you. Um, this is... Uh, This is a day when we want to honor our mothers and and think good thoughts. And I want to begin this morning by reading for you some words from a godly mother. And I want to encourage those of you who are blessed to be mothers to keep doing what you do best. And I want all of us to learn and appreciate that mothers are gifts from God, and we need to thank the Lord for them. Today is that one special day of the year when we can honor you as our mothers and and the mothers of our children and uh, thank God for you and I I do that. I've already done that today and I will continue to do that. Thanking God for my mother and thanking God for my wife who has been uh, the mother of our two daughters and uh, I've been so blessed. I want you to listen to some words this morning of a godly mother to Her son of promise, and when I say that word, you'll see it in scripture later, her son of promise, I'm sure that she committed her son to the Lord in in so many ways. Listen to what she wrote. O son, O my son, O my, uh, O son of my womb, O son of my promise, do not... Spend your strength on women, on those who ruin kings. And it is not for kings, old Emuel, to guzzle wine. Rulers should not crave liquor. For if they drink, they may forget their duties and be unable to give justice to those who are oppressed. Liquor is for the dying, and wine for those in deep depression. Let them drink to forget their poverty and... Remember their troubles no more. Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves and ensure justice for those who are perishing. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. And I would add not wickedness there. These are the words that King Lemuel reminds us that his mother said to him. It's interesting, if you study scripture, you find that in the book of Proverbs, they begin with wise words from the father, and then not surprisingly, it concludes with words of equal importance that come from a mother. You know, I I cannot think of the word home without thinking of my mom. Mom and home, mother and family, they are synonymous in my mind, and they, they go together. You know and I know that the home is a, is a strong defense of a nation. Weak homes mean weak families. As goes the home, so goes the nation. The enemy knows that all too well, and that's why he's doing everything he can to wreck our homes and our families in this country. I believe therein lies the great problem of our nation. Our homes are disintegrating. And godly parents are on the endangered species list. I believe for that very reason these words and this message should be heard and considered with great gravity. I firmly believe that the only way that God can change the course of our nation to save it is by restoring the institution of the home and of the family and by raising up godly parents. I I certainly believe that if that doesn't happen... As a nation, we're doomed. We need that foundation. We need that for us to be able to live long and prosperous. Proverbs 31 begins with a mother's advice to a son. She, she speaks from her heart words that are in the best interest of her son. This concluding chapter contains two very powerful psalms or, or poems. Um, they speak of a wise king and also of an excellent mother. And as you can see, both poems come from the heart and experience of a godly mother. And I I want you to notice that I didn't say a perfect mother. There are no perfect mothers. Um, Because there are no perfect people. There are certainly no perfect kids, right? (laughs) Only God is perfect. What makes this last chapter even more interesting is because of who king Lemuel and his mother are according to jewish tradition king Lemuel is identified as king solomon and that would make his mother bathsheba he refers to her in proverbs 4:3 he he talks about being uh, her mother his mother being the the mother of an only son they there was an older child that died as an infant Uh, The son that was conceived in that adulterous affair, and later on uh, Solomon was born, was Bathsheba's only child. Now, neither Solomon nor Bathsheba were perfect by any stretch of the imagination, and neither was King David, right? He wasn't. None of us are. But praise God, the God they loved and served, was perfect and is perfect and will always be perfect. Hallelujah. We serve a perfect God. As you can see, King Lemuel, or as we would call him Solomon, he commended the teaching of his mother, and that commendation is it. It, it, it um, came as he recounts what she taught him, and I'm, I'm sure, uh, the things she taught him later on in life. As he pondered those things, he was wishing that he had paid more attention to what she was saying. What's that old saying? Hindsight is twenty-twenty. We can learn a lot from that. But so many times it's too late. We've already messed up. And uh, I'm sure she brought some things into his life with what she said that was uh, certainly things he wished he had remembered. If we could get Solomon to come back today and speak directly to us, I'm sure he would say to you who are children, please listen to your mother. Pay attention to what she's telling you. And for all of you who are mothers, I'm sure he would say, hey, keep on doing what you're doing. Don't quit teaching your children to do the right thing and go the right way. Your faithfulness will not go unnoticed by God. You are making a difference. You are. Yeah. I'm sure that you've noticed that Solomon's mother warns her son about three specific things. Pay close attention. She warns him of women and wine and wickedness, all seen in Scripture. I kind of like what Tony Evans wrote about this warning. He said, a kingdom man doesn't spend all of his energy playing the field. Instead, he finds a godly woman and he marries her and then he cherishes her. He doesn't waste all of his time drinking wine and beer so that his head is fogged and he forgets to do justice. Rather, he speaks up for all those who have no voice and defends the cause of the oppressed. I love his last line. A kingdom man goes into battle as God's soldier to serve others. So true, so true. If you remember, it was the mistake of letting others fight his battle that got David into trouble in the first place. When he should have been on the battle lines fighting with his troops, he was home playing, looking over the corner of his balcony. The godly mother here wants her son to grow up to be a godly man, and that is a worthy aspiration for any of us. So she reminds him that to be godly, your life must be characterized by several things. First of all, you must be... A person who leads a holy life, a life set apart for God, a life that wants to please God in every way. She said, oh, my son, oh, son of my womb, oh, son of my promises. Obviously, she dedicated her child to the Lord, and she she said to him later, do not spend your strength on women, on those who can ruin kings. To be a godly man, you must live a life of holiness and also a life of sobriety. She wrote, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, to guzzle wine. Rulers should not crave liquor, for if they drink. And I, I want you to notice that. She, she didn't say, and if they get drunk. She said, specifically, if they drink, they may forget their duties and be unable to give justice to those who are oppressed. Liquor is for the dying, and wine is for those who are in deep depression. Why? Because in that day they had no medication." Let them drink to forget their poverty and remember their troubles no more. So to be a godly man, you must live a life of holiness and sobriety and also a life that shows compassion. Said, she said, speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves and ensure justice for those who are perishing. If there's anything that our country needs today, it's justice. Not injustice, not wickedness, but righteous living. And uh, she was encouraging her son to make sure that his rule would be such. If you look closely at the first section of this last chapter, it is filled with solemn warnings against spiritual vices uh, to which kings and, in fact, all leaders, all leaders from the White House to your house, that they're to be careful not to give in to things like immorality and overindulgence and unrighteous rule and indifference to those who are in need she's warning against all kinds of wickedness and oh my friends how powerful is this word from god that is so desperately needed today in our land sadly very few are ever going to read it and even less who do will heed it solomon certainly didn't he should have but he didn't even when these words came straight from his mother's lip into his own ear he didn't pay attention like he should but then how many of us can say that we listened to our mom and did everything they told us to do and and, and and not do those things which they warned us not to do? Can any of us say that? I can't. I did a lot of good things that mom said do and, and I certainly did some of the things she told me not to do. And I'm sure that you could uh, testify the same thing. Again, Solomon's mother strongly warned her son whom she knew one day was going to become king to... Uh, be careful about women and wine and wickedness. And, and sadly, sadly, he didn't listen to her. I would say to you young people, that doesn't have to be your testimony later in life. You still have time to listen to Mom and do the things she told you to do, right? Amen? You do. Solomon didn't listen. You say, well, how do you know he didn't listen? Well, he, he married 700 women and had 300 concubines. That's insane. That's insane. Insane. Who would do such a thing? He did, but anyway. She also warned him against partaking of alcohol. Solomon's mother, like ours, desired to raise and influence a son that would one day be a godly king. At least she knew that he was going to be given that opportunity if he didn't mess it up. And so the repetition of her appeal speaks to the seriousness of this mother's desire for her son. If Solomon could but follow the commands of his parents. Now think about that. If he could just do what his parents told him to do and not do the things that his parents told him not to do. Um, if he could just do that and, and not necessarily follow their example. Are you hearing me? Then his life would be characterized by holiness and sobriety and and compassion. Parents, can I just say this? Be careful how you live your life. Because every decision you make teaches your children things about life. Be careful how you live. We should all be wise to listen to the warnings that are given here in Scripture. And remember that that so many of our children take our sin from this level to the next level. We wish they would do the things that are good that we've done. But often they do the things that we didn't do well. They, They take it to a worse level. What most people don't realize is that we do that. That's the course. What's that old saying? We're all just one bad decision away from stupid? Yeah. Just don't teach our kids to be that. Amen? Pay attention. Because you teach by everything you do. What most people don't realize and maybe not even want to admit is that the use of alcohol can affect discernment. Discernment. It can also cause us to lose our convictions. And it can even pervert our hearts. Someone wisely said alcohol makes your brake fluid leak. We don't know when to put on the brakes, right? We experiment too much. I praise God for all the years that I was around my mother. I was blessed to have her for a lot of years. I never one time saw her in any of the times that I was with her, I never saw her drink anything of alcoholic nature. I never heard any stories about my mom as a teenager growing up and, and partaking of alcohol. I just, it just didn't happen with her. When I was about nine or ten years old, I remember one hot day being outside cutting grass with my dad and and I remember getting hot and wanting to drink something. And I, I went into the house and opened up the refrigerator. I was going to get the water pitcher out of the refrigerator that Mom always kept cooling there uh, to get me some water. And, and when I opened up the refrigerator, I happened to look into the refrigerator as I reached to get the pitcher. And I, I, I glanced down in the bottom of the refrigerator and I saw something that I'd never seen in our house before. It was a six-pack of beer. And, and I stood there looking at it, and I kind of froze. And about that time, I heard Dad open the door, and he came in behind me. And, and I quickly got the pitcher of water and poured me some water and put it back and got my drink and went on back outside. Later that afternoon, as we were getting ready for our evening meal... For some reason or another, I went back to the refrigerator. And when I opened up the refrigerator and I looked down, that six-pack of beer was gone. I don't know where it went. My heart tells me that my dad threw it in the garbage because he was convicted. He saw me, and that convicted his heart. My dad did not want me to see him drinking because it would affect his testimony and what I thought of him. But then neither did my dad want me drinking any of that stuff that was in the bottom of that refrigerator. And so he made it get away and get gone. I also believe that there was this unspoken rule in our house that my mother set. No alcoholic beverages whatsoever will be in this house. Never heard that. But that's the way they lived. I believe my mom again not not that she said this and not that my father said this, but, but I believe my mother was the rule setter of our house. Dad had some rules, and, and I was going to have to live by those, but I believe that Mom set the rules for the day-to-day living in our house. You see, the house was my mother's nest, right? And, and, and we were going to have to live according to her rules. We are going to have to play by her rules, like, like this rule. Never empty that water pitcher and put it back in the refrigerator empty. Always fill it up. I mean, whatever you get out, put some more in so that the next person has cold water to drink. Mom also had the rule, make sure that all of your dirty clothes are in the dirty clothes hamper. Because Mom had this one time during the week that she worked Monday through Friday. And sometimes she worked on Saturday. And so she had this one time that she washed clothes. And if your clothes weren't in that dirty clothes hamper they didn't get washed and it doesn't take but wearing dirty clothes a couple times at school and you'll start putting them in the hamper you know what I mean (laughs) she always said pull the shower curtain back shut when you get through it was just a rule with her she also said make sure that you raise that toilet lid (laughs) and then you put it back down and you be sure you flush She always made sure that we uh, we pulled our dirty shoes off at the back door. She said, you're not tracking that mud in my house. And uh, she always said, you eat everything you put on your plate. My brother and I had this discussion the other day. And he was kind of using it. You know, he, he outweighs me by about 100 pounds. Yeah. And, I, and I'm bigger than I should be. But, but he said, you know, it's mom's fault. She always made us eat everything on our plate. <laughs> I said, I said, yes, Ricky, but you got to be careful what you put on your plate. <laughs> Mom did say, try a little bit of everything. When I was in high school, I, I always had a curfew, a 10 o'clock curfew. 10 o'clock, not 10.01. 10 o'clock. And even when I was in college, while I was still living with Mom and Dad, my curfew was 12 o'clock. Yeah, I was going to college. 12 o'clock curfew. I remember coming home one one morning about 1 o'clock. And my mom was sitting on the steps of the front porch in the dark waiting on me. And trust me, it wasn't pretty. Yeah. She always said, no matter where you are, call us and let us know if you want to go somewhere else. We need to know where you are. And and if I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times. Trust me, mother knows best. Trust me, mother knows best. Mom's one big rule that we had was no pets living in the house. Now, we could have pets out in the yard. We could build dog houses. We We could put beds in the shop for them to sleep in there and pens or whatever, but mom didn't want any pets living in the house. Uh through all the years that I knew mom, we only had two exceptions. And and I and I don't know why, but mom allowed two pets through the years. One was a parakeet named Pee-wee. We thought Pee-wee was a male until she laid three eggs in her food bowl. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, Miss Pee-wee. Before she could hatch her egg, she was eaten by a stray cat that I let into the house. Now, I don't know for sure, but, because I was only about five years old, but I do believe that Pee Wee was the last meal for that stray cat. <laughs> I, I really kind of think that's the way that played out. There was one other animal, uh, a pet we called George. George was a a tiny snapping turtle that I caught in the ditch behind the house. When I caught George, he was about the size of a quarter. Nine years later, he was still the size of a quarter. And that was because we had him in this little turtle bowl. You know, your environment kind of restricts your growth. He was in this little turtle bowl, and we kept him in the bathroom on the tank lid of the toilet behind, you know, in the bathroom. And he was easy to take care of. I mean, he ate worms and he ate crickets. And and so I would change his water quite often and take care of him. And, and, And everything was really good until one day when George mysteriously disappeared. Now, theory has it that George climbed over the toilet bowl and then was flushed out into a new home. We don't know for sure. We never found him anywhere in the house, so that's the only thing that we could think of. Through the years, you know, we kind of disobeyed mom, and we brought all kind of animals into the house. At least I did. Mom was vacuuming one day in, in my bedroom, and she, knows, she noticed there had been this ice chest. And instead of having the lid on it, I had a screen on it. And one day she knocked that off with a vacuum cleaner, and she peered over, and she saw two snakes boy, was I in trouble. Uh, mom mom would find snakes and frogs and, you know, different things. They even had a bat in there one time. She, she would also, uh, you know, make sure after she chewed me out to remind me, look, trust me, mother knows best. They don't need to be in this house. And so um, I would have to get rid of them, turn them loose out in the woods and Anyway, there's a lot of stories there, but we won't go there. I, I mean, just thinking about Solomon, it makes me wonder about all the things that maybe Solomon's mother said to him. Proverbs 31 is really all we have that is recorded, and, but she's specific here. She told her son to stay away from women and wine and wickedness and find yourself a godly wife and settle down. And It makes you wonder what his life would have been like if he didn't just listen to his mother. He would have probably been a whole lot better off. We would all be better off if we would do that. In thinking about Solomon's mother, I I had to think about David. David was Solomon's dad. What did his mother say? What did his mother share with him? Uh, I, I went looking in Scripture and I found that, you know, she's not even, we don't even know her name. Her name is not even included in Scripture. We know his dad's name was Jesse, but we don't know what his mother's name was. We don't know anything she said to him. There is possibly one reference to David's mother found in Scripture in one of the Psalms. Psalms 86 verse 16. David said, look down and have mercy on me. Give your strength, and he's talking to God here. Give your strength to your servant. Save me, the son of your servant. Some translations say... Save this child of your handmaid. Your handmaid. The female nature is brought out in this statement. So it's most likely that David's mother, whatever her name was, was a godly mother that imparted a lot of great wisdom into her son's life. And even though we don't have a record of anything she spoke to David, I think we can see the godly influence that she had on his life by the way that he lived his life. So I want us to look at a psalm, Psalms 143 this morning, to peer into the relationship that David had with God. And, and I, I just know that this mother was a huge influence in helping him come to know the Lord early on in life. You, you know, you, we, we have some glimpses of, of his life early on. We, we remember the story of how, as a young teenage boy, David faced off against Goliath. And remember what he said to that um, Philistine warrior. Do you remember the words that he spoke? In verse 45, 1 Samuel chapter 17, he said, You come to me with sword and, and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then you... Uh, I will give I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and, and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone will know that the Lord does not need weapons to rescue his people. It is his battle. It is God's battle, not ours. And the Lord will give you to us. What a testimony for a young teenage boy. Listen, what David learned early on in life about God carried him through life and it served him well. And that can be clearly seen in how David appealed to God's guidance and deliverance. And and so with that being said, I want us to look at Psalms 143. Three particular things that I I saw as I read through this this past week. First of all, David knew where to take his desperate plea. Look at verse 1, Psalms 143. 143 verse 1 David said hear my prayer O Lord listen to my plea answer me because you are faithful and righteous don't bring your servant to trial uh, compared to you no one is perfect David had this moment in his life don't know what it was but he was desperate and noticed that he didn't phone a friend do you see that he didn't Make an appointment to see a counselor. He didn't even try to Google up, Google up a solution. Instead, he went straight to the Lord. I don't know why he wrote this or what particular situation was going on in his life uh, when he became desperate. Uh, it could have been any number of things. Life is that way. We can get desperate about a lot of things. What I can see in the words that I read is that he's making this urgent appeal to God for help. And uh, I see that David, with no inhibitions, opened up his heart to God. We, We see into his heart. David knew where to go when life got tough. He said, hear my prayer. Oh, Lord, listen to my plea. Now, while I can't know for sure this side of eternity, if I were a betting man, I would bet you that he learned to do this, to go to God in prayer, from his godly mother. Uh, I'm certain that she taught him to pray to God, not simply by telling him, but by showing him. She allowed him to see her prayer life, and and that's uh, that's what godly mothers do, right? We teach by example. David also was very much aware of his sinfulness. And uh, he knew that if he were to be saved from himself, it would be because of the righteousness of God and not his own. He clearly appears, appeals here to God to his righteous character. He says, answer me because you are faithful and righteous. Don't bring your servant to trial. Compared to you, no one is perfect. As you can see, the condition of David's heart is evident. He's opened up himself. His heart is in a sad state of brokenness and, and desperation. He's longing to be clean before God and he knows God is the only one that can clean his heart. Oh how he wants the fellowship that he once had with God. He wants that back. Intimacy with the Heavenly Father was his desire, the desire of his heart. His desperate distress provides us a great example of the simple recognition that David knew that He was totally unable to accomplish anything good apart from the Lord. Listen, folks. Until we're willing to humble ourselves and acknowledge our need for our Heavenly Father, until we're willing to do that, we will not experience the true joy and the peace and and the fellowship that God graciously wants to provide for us as His children. David Went to the Lord daily. He went to the Lord when he was desperate. David also knew who could best solve. His difficult predicaments. Look at verse 3. He said my enemy has chased me. He has knocked me to the ground. He forces me to live. In darkness like those in the grave. I, I can't help but think that David wrote. So many of these words. From inside a cave. By an oil lamp. Because he's hiding from Saul, running from Saul, out in the wilderness. He said, I am losing all hope. I am paralyzed with fear. I remember the days of old. I I ponder all of your great works. I I think of what you have done. He's looking back on his life. And he's remembering how God has blessed him in the past. And in verse 6 he says, I reach out to you. I thirst for you as parched land thirsts for rain. David knew that his own sinfulness was his worst enemy. But he also knew that he had plenty of outside enemies that were tormenting him and persecuting him and hounding him, trying to kill him. And and for whatever reason, David no longer had the spiritual and emotional strength to overcome them. Truth be known, his weakness was because I'm sure that he had drifted away from the Lord. We, We do that, you know. We get close to God for a while, and we'll be close, and we'll do the things we need to do through prayer and the study of God's Word and and fellowship with Him, and we'll stay close. But then we drift away, and that's no doubt what David had done. His words here express the deep longing to be close to God again. And and, and he recognized a a need for a personal revival. He needed his spirit revived. Uh, The good thing is that David came to a point where he was at the end of himself. You ever been there? Running from God and and getting to a point where you're just tired of running and you're tired of the mess you're in? He was tired of running from God, and now with all of his heart he's running to God. Look at those words he says. I reach out for you. I can just see David longing for God, wanting to come into his presence. He said, I thirst for you as a parched land thirsts for rain. You, you, You ever seen... Raindrops disappear when they hit dry ground. They just, they're just gone. Why? The ground is so thirsty. It's dry. David was dry spiritually and he needed the Lord. May, may this be our prayer. Oh, Lord, help us to long for you above all things. Help us to hunger and thirst for you as if nothing else existed but you. Well, there's one last thing I see. And I I think this is important because, as I said, David opened up his heart to God. What we see in these last few verses, beginning in verse 7, is that David opens up and he lets us see his devoted prayer life. How about you? How devoted are you to praying to God? Think about that. Notice how he prayed. Come quickly, Lord, and answer me. For my depression deepens. Don't turn away from me or I will die. You see how desperate he is? I mean, he is at the edge. Hungering for God, needing God more than he needs anything else. He says, let me hear of your unfailing love to me in the morning. That is so important. How many times do we stop at the end of the day and just before we lay our head on the pillow we begin to pray how many times when we're praying with our head on our pillow do we just go to sleep yeah the time to pray is early in the day asking God to guide you through that day that's what he's doing here let me hear of your unfailing love to me in the morning For I am trusting you. Show me where to walk. For I have come to you in prayer. Save me from my enemies, Lord. I run to you to hide me. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. For the glory of your name, O Lord, save me. In your righteousness, bring me out of this distress. In your unfailing love, cut off all my enemies and destroy all my foes. For I am your servant. How many of you have ever been really desperate? I mean, think back on your life. I sat and did that the other day and I thought back. You know, I can think of maybe three or four times in my life when I was really desperate. Times when I didn't think I was going to be able to live to make it to the next day. Yeah. Desperate. Listen, if you haven't experienced desperation yet, just wait a little while. Sooner or later, you're going to be desperate. Life is like that. And I promise you, there will be some desperate times in your life. David knew desperation. He knew what it was like to be at the end of his rope that's why David called out for God not to hide his face from him. David was basically saying, please, God, don't ignore my situation. Please help me. Look at me. Watch over me. Dr. Adam Dooley wrote the, beaut- the beautiful simplicity of his prayer reminds us that seeing the face of God is more important than freedom from our enemy. Seeing the face of God. Like a child in need of parental affirmation, we need the eyes of God upon us and the will of God guiding us. This prayer admonishes us to look for our Savior rather than a solution when life unravels. How many times when we pray, we, we don't really, and I'm being honest here, I'm, I'm, I'm being transparent. How many times do we, we, just, we pray to God selfishly and we say, God, fix my problem? David wasn't saying, God, fix my problem. He's saying, God, let, let, let's spend some time together. Let's have some intimate fellowship here. He goes on to write, awareness of God's love and assurance of his continued guidance are more important than easy remedies that do not require sustained dependence upon him. I see several things that David longed for. He longed to be aware of God's love. Do you understand God loves you more than anybody you know, I, I believe that's why God gives us mothers. Mothers and pets. And I, I hate to put mothers and pets together, but I'm telling you, son, moms love us. But you can, you can kick that dog and he'll lick your hand five minutes later, right? Yeah, love. God loves you more than anybody. Don't you ever forget that. He also longed to, to grasp God's direction Which way is God going so I can go the direction that God is going? He wanted to know where God was headed. Oh, how he wanted to understand God's will. He wanted to know what God wanted him to do with his life. He also wanted to experience God's righteousness. Oh, to be covered in the righteousness of Christ. To be be seen by God covered in the righteousness of the Lord and not in our own sinfulness. Most of all, David wanted to enjoy God's presence. To be in the presence of God. We all need to learn to come into the presence of God because one day, if we're true believers, we're going to be in the presence of God forever. Amen? And we need to get used to that. We do. It has been said that when hard times come, we should feel free to seek an exit strategy from the Lord but we also need to be ready just to rest in His love and walk in His ways, even if the intervention that we hope for doesn't come. God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we pray Him. But we can still walk in His ways and we can still enjoy His love. Friends, the greatest evidence of our trusting God is how we endure our trials, how we endure. And how we obey the Lord no matter what. True servants of God trust and obey the Lord. Trust and obey for there is no other way. We need to learn to do that. Do you remember the one reference that David made of his mother? Do you remember what he called her? He didn't say, hey mom or hey Betty. That was my mom's name. Good name Betty, right? Yeah. So what did he call his mom? Look back with me at Psalms 86, 16. This just popped off the page at me, and and it was powerful for me. David in his prayer said, Look down and have mercy on me, O God. Give your strength to your servant. Save me, the son of your servant. You see what he called her? He called his mom... A servant of God. There is no greater way to to express his love and his favor for his mom than to call her a servant of God. That was no accident. That's what he saw. And here's the beautiful thing. David grew up to be like his mom. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, well, look at this last verse, verse 12. In your unfailing love, cut off all my enemies, David said, and destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. David grew up to be a servant just like his mother, he followed her example. He was a person who served God. What did Jesus say about servanthood? Whoever is your servant is the greatest among you. There is no greater thing that any of us can do than to serve others. We honor God as we serve the Lord, right? May that be our heart's desire. And may we thank God. You know, moms moms are great servants. You stop and think about all the things that your mom did for you through the years. Yeah. Go be like them. Thank God for them. There are no perfect moms, right? Because there are no perfect kids. But thank God for His blessings. We have much to be thankful for.